That's a beautiful song. It's a song that Christians have been singing since 1779. I want to remind you the story behind that song. It's found on page 128 in your song books if you want uh, to glance at that for a moment. But if you'll remember, John Newton, at the age of 11 years old, his mother passed away. His father took him off to sea, and on a visit back home, he was impounded by the Navy and pressed into service there, and he eventually escapes from the Navy only to be impounded once again. But this time, the Navy traded him to a slave trader, and he became involved in the slave trade and a lot of gross immorality there, and he was eventually imprisoned, and then he was rescued by a friend of his father. So in the year 1748, he boarded the Greyhound that was headed for home, only to encounter a terrible storm on the way. And after 27 long days of being lost at sea, the crew finally sighted land. And so all of that experience took John Newton back to his roots as he recalls, to his mother's knee and the faith that was impressed upon him at such an early age. He became a preacher, and at the age of 82, near death and almost blind, and with a memory that was just fading away, he said these words. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I'm a great sinner... And Christ is a great Savior. We can echo those words, can't we? We're great sinners, but Christ came at just the right time to do what? To save us. If you look at the Gospel of John, John presents his Gospel in much of the same way that a lawyer would present evidence in a kind of divine trial. He compels his jury to make a decision for themselves about Jesus. And that decision was posed in a question. Do you believe or not? And so, as you recall, as you've studied through the Gospel of John, John will use a number of tools to weave many different themes together in his effort to bring the readers to an understanding and a conclusion about Jesus. And that conclusion always says, do you believe in the Son of Man or not? So if you remember at the very beginning of John's gospel, the theme of light is introduced. You see these words in John chapter 1, verse 5. John declares that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here at the very beginning of his gospel, we are forewarned that Jesus is going to be misunderstood by those who are part of the darkness. Therefore, 
if you and I, as his disciples, when we choose to follow after the way, we too are going to be misunderstood. And a lot of times, I'm shocked that so many Christians find it within themselves to think that that's not going to happen. Folks, if Jesus was misunderstood, why do we even dare think that we will not be? Because the very way that we live life and the very way that Jesus ushered in his life is totally different than the way people in the world live. It's an upside-down way of thinking. Well, later in John chapter 3, as a part of his conversation with Nicodemus, he says these words in chapter 3, verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. He says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And then later on in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus echoes these words. He spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Light has become a very important metaphor for John, for Jesus and the saving power that he brings. And if you look later on at the very end of John's gospel, in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 30, he says, He did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so again, for John, the important thing for his readers, the important thing for us as his followers and disciples is to understand when we come face to face with Jesus, when we come in contact with Jesus, will you believe or not? And so I want you to look in John chapter 9 with me for a moment. John chapter 9. Now we come to the story of the healing of a man born blind, which becomes, we look at it as a physical sight, and it is, but for Jesus, he's wanting his readers to understand also that this is a spiritual reality. And so I want you to follow along in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I mean, they just all of a sudden jumped to that conclusion. Well, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And he said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. And others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. And he replied, The man that they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Story begins with a question from Jesus' disciples. They assumed that this man's blindness was caused by some sin. And so Jesus goes on to tell them this is a correct misinterpretation of what you're seeing and what you're looking at. And so he gives them an everyday example of what rings to be true. And he spits on the ground and he makes some mud. And I know this is really the story that you want to hear right before lunch, right? But this is really what he does. He spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts it in the man's eyes, and we look at that and think, man, that's a kind of bizarre and kind of gross. But it was not unusual in Jesus' day, for it was believed that saliva contained some healing properties. And so he sends this man to the pool of Siloam to wash. And when he did, he came home and his sight was restored. Now, can you imagine the reaction of this man? And it's obvious as he's on his way home, he's got a whole different demeanor about him more than likely than he did before he went, right? I wonder about that in our own life. Do we have a different demeanor now that we are a disciple of Jesus? Now that we are a follower of of Jesus is our demeanor different than what it was before we came in contact with him it should be and not only should it be right now but every day of our life should be an encounter and should be a moment where we want to grow intimate where we want to grow as close to Jesus as we can are we doing that because, see, we live in a world today where we want something and we want it when, church? Now. We want it instant. Well, sometimes when we look at our faith and we look at our spirituality, it doesn't just happen that way, does it? We have to find ourselves as his followers in connection with Jesus. We have to find ourselves as his followers connecting with him in ways that we would never dream. I mean, it would be too easy if Jesus would just say, here are my followers and they're always going to be on top of the mountain. Man, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But that's not always the case. Because you see, we're weak and we're great sinners. And because of our weakness, what do, who do we depend on every day? 
Jesus. And we depend on him in a different way that this man depended on him. He needed sight physically, but what he didn't realize is not only are you going to regain your sight physically, but you're going to have a spiritual reality come over you that you'd never guessed would take place. You and I should never be surprised of the spiritual realities that come our way because God is faithful to those he loves. And not only is he faithful, he's going to work and he's going to do things and provide things for us as his followers that we could never imagine. Do we believe that or not? You see, our prayer is that day by day, as we continue on the way in following Jesus, that our belief in him would be stronger than ever. And that we would see that and it would be evident by all the things that we see around us. Look in verse 13. The Pharisees come on the scene now to investigate the healing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And so therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. I mean, again, a question trying to trick him. So some of the Pharisees said, well, that man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? Great question. So they were divided. You see, the Pharisees were too concerned about the fact that the healing took place on the Sabbath. And it's so amazing to me how some people can just major on the minors. And so here's what happens here. They get so caught up in the little things that when amazing things happen, like a man's sight being restored, what happens? They completely miss it. Now, why did they miss it? Because it happened to them outside the box. Now, If you're the type that likes everything in a nice little box and that's it, as a follower of Jesus on the way, you are going to be completely surprised each and every day. But as his followers, instead of majoring on something like that, why can't we just take it for what it is? Here is God at work. And praise God for that. You see, God is working in ways right now all around us. And a lot of times we miss it because it doesn't fit where we think it ought to be. Or it's not happening the way we think it should happen. And so we too, just like the Pharisees, what do we do? We miss out. We miss something amazing Because God did it in a way that surprises us. I love to see God at work, don't you? 
And I love to see God at work in ways that goes beyond what we would think. Or it goes beyond ways that we would have done it. Praise God for that, right? He does it his way. And what he expects from his followers is to see that and look at that and notice it and recognize it and say, praise God for that. Instead of chasing rabbits and going everywhere that we can imagine that our minds will take us, let it be for what it is. And so look down, look over in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? A very direct question. Penetrating right to the heart of Jesus' mission on earth. And yet it's that ultimate question that John keeps at the forefront all the way throughout his gospel. Again, do you believe or not? It's significant that Jesus' reply is, you have now seen him. In other words, the proof is in the pudding. Okay? And he goes on to say, not only is his physical sight restored, but so is his spiritual sight. Which goes to show me that God is capable of doing much more than we ask or imagine. I believe that's a prayer that Paul prays, right? So whatever we pray for, whatever we expect will happen in any given situation, the announcement from God's word is, he can always do more. And so our faith has to be big enough outside the box to believe that. So that when it happens, we're not shocked by it and we don't respond by saying, oh, that can't be from God. Rather, we look at it and say, praise God, once again, he surprised me. Once again, he did something in a way that I would have never guessed. But again, should we be surprised by that or should we just be amazed? And so the example of this new follower of Jesus, along with 2,000 years of church history, has shown that persecution tends to strengthen not weaken a follower of Jesus. Did you hear that? Persecution are times that are rough, times that are not going as smooth as we want them to go, are not meant to weaken our faith. It's meant to rely on God more and more. And every one of you in this room could give testimony to how that has been true in your life. Again, what does Jesus say at the beginning here? This man wasn't, it wasn't his parents' fault or his fault that he was blind, but they used his blindness as a display of what? 
of the work of God. You realize daily your life and your work is a display before God. A display before a lost and dying world. And so the story of John 9 confronts us throughout the generations. And we find ourselves joined with the disciples, questioning what someone did to deserve the blindness. And then we join with the neighbors in utter disbelief that this man was even healed. And then we join with the Pharisees in questioning him and his parents. And then we find ourselves joining with the healed man, and we're confronted by the question of Jesus once again, do you believe in the Son of Man or not? You see, although Jesus no longer physically stands before us right now, in a spiritual sense, he is before us asking that very question daily. Do you believe in me? And not only do you believe in me, but are your eyes open to the light? When it is, everywhere that there's light, there's what? There's Jesus. And our marching orders is walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's bow for prayer. So Father, we come to you this morning and we admit to you that we are weak. And Father, there are those times in our life just as we have seen in this story this morning that we miss out and we miss you because we're looking completely at other things, not expecting you to work in mighty ways. We confess that to you, Father. And we're reminded as we look at a story like this that you have the power and you are mighty to save. And you look at our lives as sinners to remind us that we are in need of the touch of your son, Jesus. We praise your name for him. We thank you for what he means to us in our life and in our walk. And I pray, Father, that every day of life that we can believe and that we can put that belief in action. It's through the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. We're going to have a time of invitation now. And as Stephen leads us in this song, some of you may have never put on Jesus in baptism. We encourage you today to do that. To be washed anew. To come up out of the waters a brand new person. And to have the Spirit of God resting upon us and living right here in our hearts.
Some may just need prayers. I don't know where you are this morning, but the question that Jesus asked is simply this. Do you believe or not? Let's stand as we sing this song.